On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Audio Judo. I'm Matthew. And I'm Kyle. This is your podcast of music discovery. We are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, your premier source of music podcasts. Uh, We are so excited that you took the time to join us. We hope that you will be educated and at least mildly entertained. Uh, We are not professional music journalists, but we, we like most of you, love music. And no, we don't think our opinions are more valid than anyone else's. Everyone's point of view is important. And whatever you like about music is exactly what you should like about music. We are never going to tell you what you should like, even if we don't like it, except for that beer. <laughs> Besides these episodes... These beers are pretty good, actually, so I don't know what you're what you're talking about, but uh, please continue. Uh, besides these episodes, we also do some mini episodes yeah. that we call Judo Chops, but you can only get those if you subscribe to our Patreon account. Kyle, how would the listener do that? Yeah, so for $5 a month, you can sign up for what we call the Front Row Seats tier. For that amount of money, you get a shout-out by name at the end of every episode. You get two-day early access to all of our full episodes. You also get access to these those aforementioned bonus mini-episodes that we call Judo Chops. And occasionally, you'll get some access to some other bonus content. How much is that? Uh, five bucks a month. Okay. Uh, you can also jump up, if you really want to support the podcast, to the Backstage Pass tier. It is $20 a month. But for that, you get the shout-out. You get the two-day early access. You get the Judo Chops. You get the bonus bits of Farts and Burp. Plus, you get a very special personalized gift after about three months at that tier. And if you stay at that tier for a full year, you can co-host an episode of Audio Judo with us. Uh, That does only activate once. You only get to co-host one episode with us. But it's about whatever you want. Any album, even if you don't want to talk about an album, if you just want to talk for an hour and a half, I think would would entertain that idea. Yeah, it's fine. Also, we have a new tier. If you want to support the podcast, but five bucks a month is a little bit too much for you. Uh, For only a dollar or a euro or a pound or a ruble or whatever your local currency is per month you can help us by keep uh, keep making the podcast uh, and in return for that we'll give you a shout out oh geez i can't speak english today we will give you a shout out at the end of every episode one george washington bill one george washington bill that's crazy uh or one uh, queen's pound or four george washington one, quarters one loony if you're in canada isn't that two dollars oh no that's a two that's a toonie is uh, $1. So, Matthew. Yes. Legally, uh, we are three white men in a room quite frequently. So, uh, at some point, we have to talk about this uh, upcoming band that we're about to talk yes. about here. Dave, Dave Matthews Band. Yeah, Kyle thinks outside of the box again. <laughs> not because his choice is obscure like it has been recently. Mm. Because this album is actually quite well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because this is the first time that we are actually covering a live yeah. album uh, today, live Kyle. Live in quotes. That's today, a good way to put it. Kyle has chosen the 1993 album. Remember Two Things. By Dave Matthews. Yeah. We'll get back to in a little bit why I chose this album. I was going to ask that. One thing that we need to be upfront about is that this is not totally a live album. No, it is not. Uh, There are several live tracks, a few recorded tracks, and several of those songs would appear again on other releases. It's an interesting choice, Kyle. I know you alluded to the why during our Kiss episode. Mm -hmm. When are you going to explain it? 
we'll get back to it when we're talking about the album itself. Let's let's talk about Dave Matthews Band a little bit first, shall we? Oh. So, uh, first of all, Dave Matthews Band, not the Dave Matthews Band. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were formed in Charlottesville, Virginia in 1991. Uh, They went on to have several top 100 singles, several multi-platinum albums, a Grammy Award in 96 for Best Rock Vocal Performance by a duo or group for the song So Much to Say. They sold over 38 million CDs and DVDs worldwide, so just a few. They have also sold over 25 million concert tickets in their career thus far. They're still going. Uh, When their album Come Tomorrow released at number one on the Billboard 200 in 2018, they became the first band to have seven consecutive studio albums released at the number one position. They're also known as a jam band. That's why they've sold so many concert tickets. Mm. Uh, uh, They kind of like to play. You know, yeah, you can hear the music on the albums, but to really experience it, you have to see them in concert. Did you talk a bit about uh, like how they formed? So, oh, we'll get there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, you just setting the table? I yeah, yeah, it. just setting the table. Right. They started, Dave uh, Matthews himself was working at a bar in Charlottesville uh, in November 1990. His friend, a lawyer- As a bartender. As a bartender. Uh, his friend, Ross Hoffman, convinced him to record a demo of a few songs he'd been throwing around. He also encouraged him to approach Carter Buford, a local drummer, uh, to record with him. Beauford. Co- oh, eh. Beauford was in Beauford. a bunch of bands at, at, at the yeah. time, also played with a jazz unit on BET. He also approached saxophonist uh, Leroy Moore about joining him, and mm-hmm. the trio began working on songs outside the studio. This is how Matthew tells the story, though. The reason I went to Carter was not because I needed a drummer, but because I thought he was the baddest thing I'd ever seen. And Leroy, it wasn't because I desperately wanted a saxophone. It was because this guy just blew my mind. Yeah. And he couldn't be more right. There are very few drummers in the world like Carter Beaufort, if at all. He is the most ambidextrous drummer I've ever witnessed, and there is no drummer I have ever seen that makes the most complicated parts look easy and smooth. (laughs) And he fucking sings backup while he's doing it. And it's sick. And he looks like he is bored out of his skull. He looks like this is, I'm the laziest drummer in history. And he just flies around like a madman. And it, just watching it, you're, you conceptually, as a drummer, it, that's the kind of experience that makes me take my, take my drumsticks and put them down and go, well, I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. I am not going to be able to do anything like that. That sucks. Um, I, I was going to ask you. I mean, I assume that you, you know, were familiar already. Yeah. But uh, I was, I was going to ask, you know, yeah. what do you think? And he's incredible. You just answered and, he that, wears, so. and he does it wearing like, he wears like batting gloves, like drummer gloves. It's bizarre. But it, like his, his kit setup, his hi-hat is almost dead center. It's so weird how he plays and he just gets around. His mobility is just nuts. At 63, his mobility <laughs> is still just <laughs> watching it. Like that can't be right. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a pop song. He can't be doing, oh, he did do that, didn't he? And yeah, it's uh, ridiculous. But and Leroy Moore, Jesus Christ, I can't stand saxophones in rock music, as you know. That was the other question I was going to ask you. But it's hard to deny the genius when you hear it. He makes the the first few records of Dave Matthews, Under the Table and Dreaming and Crash and stuff, come to life because there's so much energy from that instrument, an instrument that I usually don't care for. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead. I, I was say, I think a lot of that comes from his jazz background, from coming from the world of jazz, he's very familiar with just improvisation and, and riffing on things, and he's not uh, not afraid to make the sounds that he needs to make in order to pull out the beauty in the music that they're making, yeah, it's, if that makes any sense. It does make sense. However, uh, you know, they were not uh, an immediate hit. In fact, the first time they played together, they weren't great. In the words of Dave Matthews himself, quote, the first time we played together, we were awful. Not just kind of bad, I mean heinously bad. We tried a couple of different songs, and they were all terrible. Sometimes it amazes me 
me that we ever had a second rehearsal. <laughs> so they kind of realized early on that they didn't have a full sound, uh, and they recruited uh, Stefan Lassard on bass and Peter Greaser on keyboards. Greaser, yeah. Greaser. I can never pronounce people's names. Lassard so. was, a, he was a junior at the University of Virginia at the time and was recommended by the conductor of the orchestra. So he was a stand-up bass player mm-hmm. at the time, added keyboardist Peter Greaser. Uh, and a year later, they added Boyd Tinsley on violin, which is kind of an afterthought because they only had a couple of songs that they actually needed fiddle yeah. for. Less violin, more fiddle work. Kind of became their signature, though. Yeah. Uh, they recorded a, their first uh, in-studio demo between February and March 1991, consisted of four tracks, uh, the song that Jane likes recently, Best of What's Around, and I'll Back You Up. Uh, for years, it was actually believed the band's first public show was at Charlottesville's 1991 Earth Day. However, on October 9th, 2010, uh, Stefan Lassard reported via Twitter the discovery we have an earlier show taped March 14th, 1991 at Trax, a local music venue. Uh, the show was a benefit for the Middle East Children's Alliance. Mm-hmm. So probably their first show. Right, maybe. but local appearances quickly followed after that. Yeah. And they be- they hit the scene pretty hard. And they considered calling themselves Dumwalla mm-hmm. for a while, which is the Swano word for hello. Matthews being of South African descent. But there was not much enthusiasm for the name, especially not one that would have to be explained every time it was uttered. Yeah. So on a booking form, someone asked the name of the band, or perhaps the name of a contact, and they had put Dave Matthews, and an overly ambitious booking agent (laughs) added band to his name, and that became the name of the band from that point on. Tinsley has said that there was never a conscious choice to call the band that. It just kind of happened. And Matthews always regrets it because he thinks it makes it his band in people's eyes, but it is very much a collective unit. Obviously, it's a jam band. It needs all of the parts. Yeah. And in fact, in response to that, Carter Buf- Beaufort. Carter Beaufort agreed uh, when with Dave when he said uh, to Modern Drummer Magazine in an interview, quote, as a matter of fact, that's one of the things about the band that everybody likes. There isn't a leader. Each one of us can express ourselves musically without being choked by a leader. Everybody can offer what they feel is going to enhance the music. So yeah, that's the main thing that all the guys, especially me, feel make this band happen the freedom that we have to speak with our instruments. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of beautiful. Right. Uh, they played around various venues around Charlottesville for a couple of years. Peter Greaser, sensing that the band was about to make it big, actually decided that that lifestyle was not for him and left the band after a show at the Tracks Nightclub on March 23rd, 1993. Yeah, we've seen this kind of thing before. Yeah. Hey, you know, musician's life is not for everyone. I think a lot of us dream about being a rock star or a professional athlete, but when you dissect it, it's not an easy life at all. The retu- returns can be huge potentially, but the Sacrifices are immense and sometimes more significant than the return. Yeah. That's a big deal. So the summer after he left, the band would record several of their concerts, and the result would become part of Remember Two Things. Mm. Uh, it was originally released on November 9th, 1993. It's the only release that lists the band name as The Dave Matthews Band, mm-hmm. not just Dave Matthews Band. The 93 release was done by Dave Matthews Band's own record label, Bama Rags, uh, which is a pretty baller move, in my opinion, <laughs> to be like, hey, we're this new upstart band. You know what? Let's just fucking release an album. Yeah. Why not? It debuted on the college charts as the highest independent entry at the time. Uh, In 1997, after they hit superstardom, RCA would re-release the record, and eventually it went platinum in 2002. And you said, yeah, this is the only album for a time anyway listed as the Dave Matthews Band. They would drop the the for all other releases, and when this was reissued, the the was dropped. Mm. The the was dropped. uh, I don't know if you can see it on camera right now if you're watching on YouTube. My original CD does have... The on it right there, which uh, shows how long I've had it for. But yes, with so many other Dave Matthews Band albums to pick from, why did I pick this? One? I don't know. You so, didn't pick the you know the Grux King. Yeah, 
Yeah. Under the Table and Dreaming. Grugucks. Would have probably been, you know, the obvious one. Uh, I would uh, think Crash would have been. Crash is a great album and, you know, another pretty obvious choice. I picked this one for a good reason. Uh, So we've talked before about how my older cousins kind of uh, influenced what music I was listening to when I was younger and how I was introduced to bands like Van Halen and Metallica by cousins from one side of my family. Uh, Hi, Scott, if you're out there listening. On the other side of my family, my mom's side of the family, I have a cousin named Steve. So in 94, he would have been about 20 years old. He was going to college. He was working at Blockbuster Music. Music, yeah. <laughs> the video rental place also had a music store. You could not rent music from them, no. but you could buy it. And they were usually attached. So there was a Blockbuster video where you could rent movies, and there was a Blockbuster music where you could buy music. Same theming, blue and yellow. They had to wear the same blue shirts and everything. Yeah, huge thing. So because of that job, though, he always knew what was popular and what was about to explode on the airwaves uh, in the next few months after it was released. He also had this awesome truck, uh, absolutely the epitome of the late 80s, early 90s aesthetic. Cherry red Toyota pickup truck with lifted suspension, huge off-road tires, one of the best stereo systems you could squeeze into a car at the time. And that stereo system included a six-disc CD changer, which was state-of-the-art at the time. Kids, if you don't know what that is, go look it up. Uh, <laughs> the combination of that six-disc changer, the this huge variety of music that Steve had and in his collection because of his employee discount, quote-unquote. <laughs> Every trip with Steve started with this ritual of picking six CDs to put in the caddy. So you had something to listen to on the trip. So summer in 1994, we'd moved to St. George the previous year, uh, and I had a very hard time leaving my mom's family behind because we were all very close. So any chance we got to spend time together was awesome in my eyes. Uh, We'd come up to spend a week at the family's cabin, and I had a chance to go down to Salt Lake to sleep over at my aunt and uncle's before heading back up to the cabin for a couple of additional days. There were so many of us heading back up to the cabin that we had to take two cars, and I got to ride with Steve in his cool truck, which was the coolest thing for nine-year-old Kyle. This was like, oh, sweet, I get to ride in the truck. This is so cool. So before we leave, the ritual. He starts quizzing me. Do you like these guys? Do you like this? What about this band? Honestly, at that point, I had no idea about music. I was nine years old. I liked Elton John and ABBA and disco music. Wow. Side note, how anyone was surprised when I came out (laughs) blows my mind. Uh, uh, Anyway, anyway, Steve starts going through his CD rack. He pulls out this album and says, check out the cover on this album. And he hands it to me. And it's Remember Two Things by Dave Matthews Band. Uh, It's got all these dots on it. And it says, uh, the Dave Matthews Band, remember two things. Uh, We'll come back and talk about the cover a little bit in just a minute. But I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And he's like, oh, it's like one of those magic eye posters. If you stare at it, you'll see something. And sure enough, if you stare at it long enough, you start to see something. So we get in the truck. We roll down the windows, turn the stereo up way too loud. And it starts off with this beat. And it keeps going. And I'm beginning to wonder if the CD is skipping. And I'm like, what what that? Why is this so long? And then in comes an oboe, a saxophone. What the hell is that? And then a violin. Uh, what the hell are we listening to? So then it starts to pick up and the guitar comes in and the bass comes in and I kind of start to get into it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, this is cool. And I loved it. I I thought it was great. (laughs) 
uh, I was absolutely floored. I had to get this album. So I remembered the name Dave Matthews, and I remembered the first song was called Ants Marching. So we get back to St. George, and I tell my mom I want the Dave Matthews album with the song Ants Marching on it for my birthday, which was coming up a few weeks later. She goes to Sam Goody to get it. They don't have it. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Small town, small music store. Maybe I can get it for Christmas. That gives us plenty of time to look for it, you know, whatever. So I had to wait five months. But on Christmas morning, I see this present that's the size of a CD, and I rip it open, and it's an album called Under the Table and Dreaming. <laughs> Wrong so one. Apparently, the disappointment was obvious on my face because I didn't recognize the cover of this album. My mom says, is that the right album? And I say, well, it's got the right song on it that I really like, Dance Marching. It's got the other song that I like, Satellite. Okay, yeah, you know, this, this is probably okay. It's close. So a little bit later in the day, I throw it in the CD player. Skip ahead to track seven because that's where Ants Marching is on that album. I hit play and there's the beat. And I'm like, well, uh, what happened to the drum intro that made the whole song like last? What the hell is this? So that's not the song I fell in love with. And I immediately disliked it. I was like, this is not the same thing. <laughs> so it took me about a week to be honest with my mom that Under the Table and Dreaming was not the CD that I wanted because I didn't want to hurt her feelings. Did you just Obviously, throw it at her? I just threw it. I was like, mm, screw you, mom. No, uh, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. Just whizzed it like a Frisbee. She was really accepting of it. She actually returned a CD to Sam Goody, an you open CD. She might be the only it? human being that had ever done that. But you couldn't keep it, Kyle? I, I could have, but she chose to return it. Um, she had a giant argument with the teenager behind the counter about returning it. Uh, and I honestly thought she might slap him Ooh. when he suggested that I was lying about there being another Dave Matthews album oh with a God. longer drum intro to Ants Marching because, quote, well, this is their only album. Label release. Eventually, I found a copy of Remember Two Things, that one right there, and I bought it at Blockbuster Music <laughs> when we went to visit family in Salt Lake the next summer. Uh, in the end, it all worked out. I still have that CD, obviously. I loved it. I've loved it for all these years. And it's a it's a wonderful album. And that's why I ended up picking this. All right. That's a good reason. Right? Yeah, that's so, fair. So let's go back to talking about that cover a little bit. It's quite unique. It is. It's a blue-green cover. It's an audio stereogram, mm -hmm. otherwise known as 3D art. Yeah. Very popular around the mid-90s, popularized by an episode of Seinfeld. Yeah. Mr. Pitt. <laughs> I can't see it. Depen what is it? Depending on oh. who you believe, you either have to have super deep focus to see the hidden image, or you have to kind of stare through the picture to see the hidden image. Either way, the hidden image is that of a hand giving the peace sign. Yeah. Uh, apparently, this, this is a reference to the two things. Go ahead. I would say this one was actually created by uh, Rick Kwiatkowski. 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 Yes. Thank you. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. It's I, a knew, I knew you'd know how to pronounce that one. <laughs> and Jeff Smith. Jeff Smith. Thank of course you, it's Jeff. Probably BYU. Uh, Jeff two, Smith. Yeah. Two University <laughs> of Virginia students. Um, but yeah. It's, it's definitely period placed in its time. Yes. This no is doubt a, this is the 90s. This is a very 90s album. Doesn't album. make it any less cool, though. No. Uh, <laughs> so uh, apparently the two things in the title, remember two things, are love your mother and leave only footprints, Yeah. which I wish someone would have reminded them when they dumped their shitter on a highway in Chicago. <laughs> Happy anniversary, 18 years, just a few weeks ago. So actually, uh, I have been a fan of Dave Matthews Band for a very long time, except this record. Not that oh. this record isn't good, because it is, but because just about everything on here is on subsequent records, mm -hmm. and those albums just made better packages and listening experiences for me. See, when I heard, first heard the band, it was the summer of 1995, and it was a very weird time for music. Grunge had died a 
pretty quick death. Yeah. Alternative music was kind of the way it was headed. Folk singers, bands like this, like Blues Traveler, Hootie and the Blowfish, those kind of bands that really had nothing specific to say and weren't very challenging musically, were really dominating the airwaves. Uh, and it was weird. There was softer sounds were kind of on the rise. And I was at a dinner in Denver with Heather, and it was hosted by her boss at the time. This is right before she started working in a bank. She was working as a dispatcher for a concrete company called US Mix. Okay. And the guy that owned the company was having an employee appreciation dinner at his house. He lived at this in the swankiest part of Denver, and they had all these tables set outside by the pool, and the whole thing was catered. Remember, the dessert was unbelievable. I still talk about that dessert. So <laughs> fucking good. And I remember sitting there, and they had outdoor speakers and these really long tables, and this strange music was playing. The boss's daughter was sitting right across from me, and she was getting ready to leave for college to go up to CSU. And I asked who this was, and she said, Dave Matthews Band. Isn't it awesome? First time in my life, I felt old. <laughs> and I was exactly 23 years old. <laughs> I'm like, what? But yeah, it was awesome. And I wore the shit out of Under, t under the Table and Dreaming that summer. So yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> excited to talk about this one because it, it's like a missing hole in my Dave cool. <laughs> Matthews knowledge because I would eventually get the record. But as I talk about later, it was like collecting baseball cards for me. I didn't listen to everything I owned. Yeah. I just wanted to have it. So I definitely feel like that is where this record falls for a lot of people, I'm sure, is it is a, a weird record because it was, it was not a major release when it originally came out. It, even the re-release, which went platinum, was not a major re-release because a lot of people were like, well, I already have three other albums that have these songs on them. Right. Why would I buy another one? Just to have it. Yeah. And so unless you're somebody who's a collector or interested in the you know the history of Dave Matthews- To or, complete the collection. Yeah, exactly. There's one other thing I want to mention about the cover though. Sure. I think the back cover is a missed opportunity. I think the back cover, because the back cover is identical to the front, except it has the track listing down the side, right? First of all, I think the audio stereogram should have been the back of the hand, giving the two the the peace sign, so that it was like you were seeing the back of the hand. This means something Not, completely different. Yeah, <laughs> that might be why they didn't do it. But still, the other thing, I think they should have embedded the secret message of what the two things were mm. in the audio stereogram. Missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. Should we take a quick break? Come back to a track by track. Sure. Ants marching, Matthew. Mm. This song has become the unofficial anthem of Dave Matthews fans worldwide. Yeah. Uh, it has been played at most, if not all, of their shows over the last 30 years. Fans of the band refer to themselves as Ants. Yeah, pretty influential. This was written by Dave Matthews a while before it was first performed live by the band in 1991. And the version on this album was recorded at The Muse in Nantucket on mm -hmm. August 17, 1983. Um, in this live version, like I mentioned before, it does start with a very long... It's like 24 times. 28 times. Oh my God. <laughs> and to me, I, ha I hate it. I hate that beginning. <laughs> 
<laughs> because and again, because I know the other version of the song so much better. Yeah. This version of the song is almost two full minutes longer. And I even wrote a lot of it is eaten up by the beginning of the song with the monotonous drum hits and slow start. But and see, th- that's kind of the point though. Yeah. And that to me is the thing that I love so much about this version of the song is that it's they can be luxuriously wasteful with it. And it but it is musically uh reminiscent. I think that's the whole point. The song is all about drudgery of everyday life yeah. and how we were just little ants headed to work, going about our normal lives and then going back home in our cars like little ants. And that beginning is that drudgery, almost like you're like you're you're hitting hitting a railroad tie with a with a pit with a hammer. You're just like bang, bang, yeah, bang over and over again. And you're like, God damn it, when is it gonna stop? Like <laughs> I said, the first time I heard it, I thought maybe the CD was skipping. Uh <laughs> Which is the thing that used to happen, kids. And I, uh, I hate that beginning. But other than the opening, the rest of the song is an expose yeah. for the musicians. Front and center, saxophone player, Leroy Moore. Yep. Who just absolutely shines on this song. I was about to say, this is this is kind of a, I think this is a really good first song. Because it literally does lay out like, hey, here's all the people in the band and here's what they each do. Here's the drummer. Here's the saxophone player. Here's the violin player. Here's the, you know, the uh, 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 singer. Here's the guitar player here's the bass player it just lays all the instruments out very quickly at the beginning and then they really quickly come together when the song starts to pick up to make a whole sound i think it's a really cool way to start an album i agree one of everybody's favorite parts of course is the speed reading lyrics right in the middle of the song uh-huh. the bridge uh the lyrics are Candyman tempting the thoughts of a sweet tooth tortured by weight loss program cutting the corners loose end loose end cut cut on the fence could not to offend cut 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 and it sounds a little bit like this So obviously this would go on from this album to be released on uh, Under the Table and Dreaming with a shorter version, Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit cleaned up, uh, a little bit tighter sound to it. You know, that's the version everybody recognizes. Obviously, this one is a little bit different, but I think it's definitely worth a listen uh, to see how it evolved, if nothing else. Like I said, to me, the star of that song is Leroy Moore. Terrible story about Leroy. You know Mm, about this, right? He was born in Durham, North Carolina, raised in Virginia, where he studied tenor sax at James Madison University. After that, he moved to Charlottesville, (coughs) where he became an acclaimed sax saxophonist in bands uh, with John Durth. Uh, he soon joined Matthews and would be on every subsequent release until 2008 when he was tragically injured in an ATV accident on his property in Virginia. The ATV landed on him. He broke some ribs, punctured a lung, but he was recovering. He had been in a rehab facility, seemed to be healing, but less than two months later, he contracted pneumonia as a complication to the accident and died en route to the hospital at the age of 46. It's such a shitty story. Yeah. Uh, but a good song. Good song. Shitty way to die. Shitty story. Good song. Tripping Billy. Tripping Billies. Don't mind if I do. Right. Also recorded live at the Muse in Nantucket. Same date, August 17th, 1983. But released on Crash in 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, Slightly different version again, but same type of song. See, and I love this song because it is super active for the whole band, and I am not a jam band fan <laughs> at all. I don't like the Grateful Dead, nor do I like Fish with a PH. I think the only reason I like this band is because of how active and versatile the band is, and I have never seen them live, so I am not in any danger of running into a 45-fucking-minute version of this song. <laughs> 
So I think one of the hardest things here was trying to figure out what this song was about. So uh, Dave himself would explain this song <laughs> on the Dave Matthews Band episode of MTV Storytellers, saying that it was about a time he took acid on a beach with friends in his native South Africa. After he took a hit of acid, he quickly decided he didn't want to have a trip, but the acid said, too late. He and his friends spent the night sitting around a campfire while he watched his girlfriend's face turn into his mother's face. He saw his hand melt away and somehow lost all of his clothes. The next thing he remembers was talking to the cops. Billy's. Billy's. In 1996 interview uh, with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Dave also said, quote, Well, see, you've got Billy Goats, a herd of Billy Goats, tripping goats, hillbillies on acid. Maybe that's another possibility. Maybe there's a party and maybe everybody's venturing into the shadowy corners of their mind and maybe someone at the party is upset about what they find in the recesses of their mind. And other people say, look, we're at a party. You should enjoy things. Forget that those dark little corners in your head exist. Been there, dude. Which... <laughs> Been there. And depending on who you are with... And where you are will determine whether the experience is a fun one or a terrifying one. I've been on both sides, and this is clearly a good one for him. (laughs) But uh, basically, it's about uh, hillbillies tripping on acid, and here's what it sounds like. Dragons were smoked, bumblebees were stinging a sour soon to be crazy. I know. He's so good. So uh, the line, Matthew, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow would die. Yeah. It's often quoted, uh, <laughs> cited as being quoted from the Bible or from Shakespeare. Shakespeare, yeah. Uh, neither of those is actually 100% true. Okay. So uh, I don't think it actually shows up in Shakespeare anywhere. I could not find a direct quote. Really? Yeah. From the Bible, it does show up as a combination of two different quotes. The first one is, then I commendeth mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry, which is from Ecclesiastes 8.15. Naturally. The other one is, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die Isaiah twenty two thirteen and Corinthians fifteen thirty two. Well that sounds more accurate. However, weirdly enough, it does show up directly in the Book of Mormon. In a chapter about false religions and prophets. <laughs> Yea, and there shall be many which shall say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and it shall be well with us. Yea, verily, though I listen to the Dave Matthews band. Indeed you shall. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that was really interesting, because I was 100% sure. I'm like, oh, that's from the Bible. Not directly. Kind of. Yeah, a little bit. He uh, he does a call out in this song. Oh, yeah. Uh, yelling, take it up, Boyd. Yeah. This is, of course, for Boyd Tinsley. Technically, uh, this is technically the first song that he worked on with Matthews back in 91. He would remain with the band until 2018 uh, when he was fired mm-hmm. for sexual misconduct mm-hmm. misconduct allegations leveled against him from a band member in a different band that he was in at the time. That's a shitty way to go out. Ugh. Yeah, it's very strange. Awkward. Strange story. So one other thing this, ba- uh, this uh, song did do for the band, the line, legs crossed around a fire, my yellow flame, she dances. A lot of fans believe that's the origin of the Fire Dancer logo that would become synonymous with the band uh, in the years following this album. Huh. It was designed by Dave after being asked what he saw when 
when he looked into the crowd at a concert while he was performing, which I assume performing on acid, maybe? <laughs> I don't know, but... That's not recommended. No. Recently. Recently it isn't recommended? Recently is the next song on oh. the album. Uh, this is not a song I knew yeah. before listening to this record. And it's funny because I had this CD for years and I don't know that I ever listened to it. I had it because back in the day, like we said, our CDs were trophies, mm-hmm. things you collected. I probably had upwards of a thousand CDs, but realistically never listened to more than probably 50 or 60. They were just objects. And this album uh, sure fell in that category. It's a, it's a nice love song. It's kind of about one of the peaks in a relationship where everything's good and the couple's deeply in love and they're, you know, showing it off and they're making out in public and they're kissing and they're holding hands and they're so says you you think well it's very indicative of early matthew's stuff a lot of his lyrics are completely unintelligible to Mm me he does a lot of mumbling and i honestly uh have no idea what the song is fucking about that's funny because i did say in here that uh, whether you love or love or hate them dave matthew's unique vocals are on full display in this song Uh, Uh, sounds a little bit like this Honestly, the song kind of goes nowhere. Yeah. It has a live jam band quality to it. And it's interesting for a little while. And then it lays flat because it doesn't travel anywhere. It just meanders. I hate jam band meandering. <laughs> Can't stand it. That's that's true. It was recorded uh, at the Flood Zone in Richmond, Virginia. And the sound quality from this performance was at least better than that Nantucket show. Oh, yeah. Uh, <coughs> which sounded kind of muddy. Yeah. There's definitely a weird um, a thing that happened in the early days of Dave Matthews was they actively encouraged uh, the audience members to bootleg their concerts. And part of that was for many years, you could actually get a feed directly off the soundboard <laughs> if you brought your own recording equipment. Oh, geez. And so a lot of these early concerts, you can go back and hear 20 different versions of a song because somebody showed up at the first 20 times they played it oh. and recorded it directly off the soundboard. Okay. I saw, I found like a old FAQ mm-hmm. for the Dave Matthews fan club. And there's a whole description about what equipment to bring, yeah. where to plug it in, what settings to use. There was like the biggest section in there wasn't about like an album of theirs. It was all how to record shit at their concert. Yeah. And apparently they did that for a number of years until somebody started to try to commercialize it. Of course. Uh, and then the band kind of put a stop to that. I don't know what their policy is now. <laughs> Fuck um, you, capitalism. My, my assumption would be, you know, with modern uh, digital recording equipment and things that it's probably impossible to stop. Yeah, pretty much. But in all honesty, I think this is a kind of a good follow up to Tripping Billies as kind of a come down song. I totally agree with you. This feels a lot more like a jam session than a, a song. <sighs> but uh, uh, it's, you know, an interesting little ditty. And I think it fits in a good spot on this album. Uh, one thing I do love about the song is that steel drum sound at the top yeah. of the song. I think that's cool. And of course, the playing of uh, Carter Beaufort. Good God. You know, he's so busy and he never fucking stops. I can listen to him play all day, just not necessarily on this song. Uh, satellite. <laughs>
I actually really love this song. Oh, it's so good. This is my favorite song on the album. Right? And I read a number of reviews from actual ants of the band that can't stand it. Really? Like, really. It's hard to fathom because the thing that I really love about it is that it has this non-conventional structure. If you break down how the song is put together, it's kind of a tapestry, but makes no logical sense. And I love that. Song was written based on a finger exercise that Matthews used to do when he practiced his guitar, much in the vein that Sweet Child of Mine was written by uh, uh, Guns N' Roses. Okay. Same thing, but much different results. And I think the chorus of the song is my favorite of their entire catalog. Winter's cold, spring erases, and the calm away by the storm is chasing. Everything good needs replacing. I guess it's just very cool. What is he doing? Look up, look down all around. Look, down, look up. Yeah. Hey, satellite. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this was actually originally a song called After her Uh, and almost the entire song all the lyrics the song itself is the same the lyrics well similar the lyrics were almost entirely changed Uh, and like you said it kind of follows these interesting themes of cycles both in the music and in the lyrics it's seasons it's cycles of you know oh you can go from one thing to the next and then that leads back to the first thing the legend has it uh, that the song was changed because the woman from after her was Dave's former girlfriend and when he began dating his future wife Jennifer Ashley Harper uh, he didn't want to continue to perform the song where he was longing after a former lover so he quickly changed all the lyrics oh wow um the way he puts the (coughs) words together is very original because a lot of times there are there's no rhyme or reason to the end of a line or the beginning of the next line they just kind of run together This version is not so much a different arrangement than the version on Under the Table and Dreaming, but it sounds a lot different. It sounds a lot drier than the yes. single version, a lot less reverb. It was recorded live at Tracks in Charlottesville, but there's very little room noise. It's very dry. Yeah, it sounds like this, in fact. Lots of people, and I did not ever put this together until I started researching, lots of people see references to the Beatles' Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds in this song. A song that's long been associated with psychedelic drugs, especially LSD. Uh, Maybe. I don't see that. Almost, you know, almost every song on this album has some relationship to drugs in it. Uh, And the Beatles were so hugely influential to music. For me, it's hard to find a musician that wasn't directly or indirectly influenced by them. So I feel like you're really reaching when you're saying things like, you know, the uh, one of the last lines in this song is... 
uh, uh, something about the weatherman's satellite eyes. Yeah. And then they immediately say, oh, that's like Lucy's eyes in the, the Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And it's like, mm, it's a little Bullshit. bit of a reach. Right? I, I agree. Uh, but I thought I should bring it up because yeah. it was, it, I saw it multiple places online and I was like, mm. uh, The single version that would appear on the next album was to be the fifth and final single released from that record. It, and it reached uh, number 18 on the modern rock charts. Hmm. Um, there's a cover version of this by Mika oh. that I had not heard, uh, but I can imagine it's probably a much bigger version than this one. Uh, and Josh Groban <laughs> also recorded a cover version. I can only imagine that that one is also bigger. Probably and probably is. a little bassier. Just a bit. Blue satellite. <laughs> Robert Goulet. Goulet. One sweet world, Matthew. It's another song that I did not know going in. Yeah. And it's such a light and airy and cheery song. It is. It's about embracing life on Earth, how lucky we are to be here, and right. how we should probably preserve it for, you know, future generations. Acoustic guitar drives so much of this song as it does on a lot of their catalog, but the star of the song is Leroy Moore on saxophone. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty simple piece, but it's played very effectively. Uh, this one was also recorded at tracks. Um, and like you said, it's about uh, uh, saving the planet. And I think there is a nod to the fact uh, that at the the end of the day, the earth will shake us off at some point and start over. Yeah. We're not permanent residents, just temporary, and she will reclaim herself at some point. And the lyrics are pretty good, too. Nine planets around the sun, only one does the sun embrace. Upon this watered one, so much we take for granted. Again, there's no rhyming there. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to tell where stuff begins and ends. It's a, it's a very interesting lyrical style. It sounds a little bit like this. In fact, it sounds exactly like this. Take all that I definitely would not know most of the lyrics to these songs if I did not have the ability to look up the lyrics to these songs. Yeah, I think that's true. If you were just trying to guess, uh, 75% of them probably wouldn't match. I think the further he got into his career, as his voice started to drop a little bit, his lyrics became much more understandable. Yes. And I think in this part, it was just kind of muddy and weird. Yeah, it's hard to understand. Uh, In 2002, though, Mm -hmm. Ben and Jerry created an ice cream flavor called One Sweet World, W-H-I-R. R-L-E-D. As a tribute to this song, combination of coffee, ice cream, caramel, and marshmallow swirls. And they donate many of the profits from the sale to several environmental charities. Yeah. It sounds delicious. Great. I like marshmallows and ice cream. I don't know. Uh, I would like that to That flavor go, is pretty good. I would go, like to go get some. I don't. Do they still make it? I don't. Any idea? Well, maybe. Randy I'll, says they do. Maybe I'll have to stop at the grocery store on the way home. Ooh. I could yeah. go for some ice cream right, right about now. Uh, the song that Jane likes. Is exactly that. Yeah. It's the song that Jane likes. Yeah, one of the only ones uh, on this album uh, with a co-writer, uh, Mark Roebuck, along with Dave Matthews. Mm-hmm. This was originally written and recorded before uh, the band was formed. Back in 1989. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Dave was practicing it. His sister mentioned that she liked it, and thus the title, the song that Jane likes. Yeah. Uh, Dave will often lead into the song in concerts by saying, I've got a little sister named Jane. This is the song that Jane likes. And it sounds <laughs> like this.
So what do you know about Mark Roebuck? Sounds familiar. So Sears Roebuck? Sears Roebuck. He, he's the founder of Sears Roebuck. Due to a time travel accident, he will travel <laughs> back to... Uh, no, no. Uh, he's an American composer and musician who, surprised, lives near Charlottesville, Virginia. <laughs> what well, I didn't see that coming. He's mostly known for his work in the 1980s with power pop group The Deal. Who? The Deal. The Deal. The Deal. Big they deal. were a big deal. Big However, deal. he was working on a project called Tribe of Heaven with Dave Matthews. They recorded an album in the late 80s at some point. It was released in 2005. It's called Imagine We Were. Okay. Uh, it is not bad. It's really? Very, it sounds a lot like acoustic Dave Matthews band. I mean, it, it really, you know, surprise. Surprise. It sounds it, like him. Surprise. His vocals are still there. I don't know how I feel about this song, though. It has become, like, hugely popular. They play it in so many this concerts. One? Yeah. I just... It just kind of, it's another one that just kind of winds its way around and meanders yeah. a bit. Like, I feel it never like, gets anywhere. I feel like this is probably hugely popular because when they play it in concert. Because people are so high. People are fucking high, like Randy <laughs> said. And on top of that, there's probably a huge jam session right in the middle of this where everybody gets their own Oh, there turn, has to be. Right? Yeah. Piss break. Exactly right. Pee break. Which, that was another thing I found was amazing in researching some of this. So they do, obviously, you know, when they're on con- when they're on tours doing big concerts and stuff, they have set lists that they kind of stick to. Uh, you know, and maybe, oh, hey, and when we're in Cincinnati, we want to play this song. Or, you know, when we're on the West Coast, we want to play this song. But the fan sites have breakdowns of every single concert that Dave Matthews Band has ever played and the right places in those concerts to go take a pee break. Nerds. <laughs> it was, I was started digging around and I was like, oh my God. And they're like, in the upcoming concert, if this is the set list, so if they start with these three songs, you know to wait until this time. Oh my and God. And Dave will say this on stage. He'll start talking about this thing that's when you want to take your pee break it you was people need a job right uh, bonkers so uh, uh minarets matthew it's one of the two songs recorded in an actual studio yes recorded at flat five studios in salem virginia mm-hmm. it's a very interesting song and another one i did not know purposely i'm sure it has very middle eastern flair yes and sound to it almost a bit campy with the very familiar arabian melody uh as if that was the only one yeah i kind of go back and forth a little bit on the song because it has like a real kind of simmering darkness to it. And I'm not sure if there's a warning in this song or it just sounds like it. The drums sound like gunshots in parts and it's very dark. Like his snare is tightened up yeah. in this song and it sounds like really like crack, like very cracky. Yeah. It's also an interesting blend of religious iconography. Right. So the title Minarets refers to the tall slender towers usually found on top of mosques where the muezzin uh, calls Muslims to prayer. The first line, Santa Maria, refers to St. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Babylon refers to the biblical city mentioned in Revelations and also to the woman, uh, Babylon the Great, also known as the Whore of Babylon, Whore of Babylon who's the mother yeah. of prostitutes and abominations of earth. She sounds like a real fun lady to have a party with. But it, it, it was a very interesting combination of these these different- Well, I, I feel like he's kind Old of- Old Testament, New Testament- Juxtaposing Muslim. Yeah. the Muslim religion and Christianity, Christianity throughout the song. I'm not clear what the intention is. Yeah. The lines, all, all our wars over you, we are fighting, and all our time, faith justifies. I mean, that part is pretty clear. And I think a lot of us feel that way. Faith as a justification for war and killing. Makes no sense. All religions had some part in that since the dawn.
dawn of time. And I think this song is just talking about that and the folly of humanity. What you see, what you see, what you see is human. That's the line in the song, (laughs) which is exactly right. This is a product of humanity, killing in the name of a God we can't see. It's senseless, but that's what you see that humanity. And it's uh, it's an actually uh, lyrically, like I didn't realize how in-depth he really got. Again, because I think we've talked about, I can't understand him. Yeah. And his meter is so strange that you don't really know what he's saying a lot of the time, or you don't pay, you don't pay attention to it because a lot of it isn't reinforced over and over again. Yeah. It, they definitely, one of the things that, that he does a lot is even the, the choruses, if he has them, are short. So you don't get a lot of the repetition throughout the the song that you normally would in a, a lot of other music. And because of that, you end up with this like, oh, I only heard this one time. So you can't really pick up, hey, what is this actually supposed to sound like? Uh, however, this song sounds like this. Tim Reynolds playing the guitar here. Uh, he was a longtime collaborator with uh, Dave Matthews. He's band. his right-hand man. He's his right-hand man. And he resisted joining the band for years. He finally became an official member, quote-unquote, in 2008. However, he basically plays on every album, every recording, and lots of most of the live shows. Everything that Dave Matthews yeah. has put out. Uh, also, uh, Greg Howard, credited here with playing synthesizer, uh, some percussion samples, and his main instrument, the Chapman Stick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, love so, the uh, Chapman stick. First a little bit, Greg Howard, a multi-instrumentalist based in Charlottesville, Virginia. Surprise. Uh, he, he's collaborated with D, uh, Dave Matthews Band twice on this album and again on Before These Crowded Streets. He's also done a lot of work with Tim Reynolds and has written books on how to play the Chapman stick. So what the hell is a Chapman stick, Matthew? Do you know? It's like a bass. Similar. It's an electric instrument created by Emmett Chapman in the early 1970s. They consider it a member of the guitar family. Chapman stick usually has 10 or 12 individually tuned strings, and it's used to play bass lines, melody lines, chords, and textures mm. all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's designed as a fully polyphonic chordal instrument, which is music talk for something that I don't understand. Uh, it can also <laughs> cover several of these musical parts simultaneously. They look like the neck of a guitar with 10 or 12 strings, but they're the height of an upright bass. Yeah. They are very interesting looking instruments. Yeah, it's cool. It's a really cool instrument. I didn't realize there was one on this record. Yeah. So there it is. Chapman stick. Hmm. Huh. C-cup. 
C cup. Cup empty. Fill cup. C cup. C cup. This is a uh, C cup. I'm actually more of a B cup, but <laughs> this is the other song uh, recorded in the studio. Also recorded at Flat Five. Mm-hmm. Also uh, with Tim Reynolds. This is another song I did not know. Man, it's a doozy. Yeah. Clocks in at a little over seven minutes long. But from what I read, this song can go on for more than 20 minutes in concert. <laughs> How yeah. long are their concerts then? Are they like hours. five hours long or hours. do they only play five songs a night? I do like the music on this one, and I could easily see where the jam parts can play themselves out live. It's jazzy. It's a little <laughs> 80s. Uh, the song is all about greed, Yeah, uh, with a couple of references to Ring Around the Rosie, yeah. and again, some religious stuff. That surprised me. I had no idea that he was as religious or spiritual as he seems to be towards the end of this record. And I also don't think I realized how good a lyricist he really is. And I think some of that has, like I said, has to do with we can't understand him. Yeah, I need to go back and look at, at his other lyric sheets for the other reason or for the other records because I, I think there's great stuff there that needs to be mined. I mean, that the, these lyrics right here, forget about the reasons and the treasons we are seeking. Forget about the notion that our emotions can be swept away, kept at bay. Forget about being guilty. I am innocent instead, for soon we will all find our lives swept away. That's really good stuff, Dave. Yeah. That's too bad I didn't understand the goddamn thing you were saying. <laughs> I do think it's, it's really interesting, too, that like, uh, oh, I'm sorry, my train just totally derailed there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, this is what it sounds like. Ah. Oh, look at me in my fancy car and my bank account. Oh, how I wish I could take it all down into my grave. I'd say, oh, take a look again, take a look again, take a look again. Every day things change, basically they stay the same Forget about the reasons and the treasons we are seeking Forget about the notion that our emotions can be swept away Intentions are not wicked, don't be tricked into thinking so Soon we will all find our Away. I, Did I, the train get back on the, the train? Didn't quite get back on the oh, tracks. I, I honestly don't know what happened to that train. It disappeared off a bridge. It's gone. Gone. I I totally agree with you. This is definitely a jam jam song. God only knows how long it actually is in most concerts. I like it on this this album. I think it's a, a, yeah, so a good I. little song. I think it's a nice. It's not little, a little song. It's seven minutes. Well, long. Okay, it's a good song. <laughs> I like uh, uh, that. It kind of sums up the theme of this whole album. Don't stress the small stuff. We're all gonna die, so live it up while you can. Ooh, deep. Right. I'll back you up, Matthew. Ooh, another one. Right. This song is recorded live, but it's all acoustic, recorded with Matthew's longtime collaborator, Tim Reynolds. Mm -hmm. There he is again. Uh, This is officially, according to what I've read, the very first song that Dave Matthews ever wrote. Yeah. And it is about his girlfriend at the time, Julia Gray. Uh, And she has been in the inspiration for a lot of their songs. And this is truly a beautiful song. There's something really entrancing about two acoustic guitars playing together. Regardless if it's Tim Reynolds and Dave Matthews, lots of different... artists with just two acoustic guitars there's something magical about that thing it makes a very beautiful sound that kind of constantly plays off of each other Mm. whether that's intentional or not it just kind of happens
happens, I think, when you have those two sounds with each other. I do think that it's interesting. We've talked a lot of times about people's first songs, mm. and they seem to all be about women. Mm. Uh, first time I think I ever wrote a song, it was about farts and butts. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell I'd like, you. I'd like to hear that. Uh, I don't think I have it anywhere. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's how it starts. Uh, but it would have been sometime <laughs> in uh, preschool, I believe. Ah. Dave said about this song, he said this was, quote, recorded in a closet near a bathroom. And the final version so is the one with about no butts. flushing sounds in it. So could have been a little bit about butts. Uh, here's what it sounds like. This is a good little song. Uh, yeah, there's not much more to say about it because it just, it is what it is. Yeah. End the album with a Christmas song. And that's exactly what that song is, too. It's a Christmas song. Uh, it's yeah, all, I would agree with that. It's all about Jesus. Yeah. Again, with the religious stuff. Dave has claimed to be agnostic, but mm -hmm. he spends a lot of time writing about spirituality. And again, this is just two acoustic guitars. Yeah. And again, it's hard to beat. It's very pretty. Yeah. It's I, a nice song. I do think that it's a very interesting modern story of, uh, of Jesus and Mary and the birth of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Fascinating sort of twist on the idea. Uh, sounds a little bit like this. his girl, he was her boyfriend, she'd be his wife and make him her husband, a surprise on the way, any day, any day, one healthy little giggling, dribbling baby. Wise men came, three made their way to shower him with love while he lay in the hay. Shower him with love, 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 love. Pretty good Christmas song. Pretty yeah. good Christmas song. I like it a lot. It seems like a weird way to end the record, but this is not a conventional record in the slightest. Yeah. Uh, it almost works as an EP because it's got live cuts and studio cuts mm -hmm. and acoustic cuts. So it's a little hard to pigeonhole and call it something. But I think it was a, this is an exercise talking about this record. We could have picked any of his albums yeah. and probably had a lot more to talk about song by song because these songs appear in other places. But I feel it, like it acted like a primer for all the things that come after it. Yeah. Uh, remember two things. It's almost like this is a very professional demo tape. Yes. And obviously that's kind of what it became is, hey, we're on the brink of making it. Here's what we're capable of. Mm -hmm. Who wants to buy it? Yes, I, you know, I would and, say that. And I think accurate. that it, it ended up becoming a sold demo tape, which I think is fascinating. Like I said earlier, I think it's a really baller move that they were able to do that and say, hey, we're just going to fucking make this and put it on an album and pay for it ourselves and then sell it and then see who buys it. Baller. Baller. Baller move. And that is... Uh, Remember two things. Right. If you have albums that you would like to uh, talk about or you have live albums that you think are uh, better, more important or more relevant than this, send us uh, some 
information. You can yeah. get a hold of us on our social media at facebook.com forward slash audio judo, at Twitter <coughs> at audio judo, or Instagram at audio underscore judo, where you can send us a, an email, which is usually the quickest way we respond at info at audio judo.com. Mm-hmm. Please don't forget to check out Throughline. The boy is doing some fantastic work over there. Also, join our Patreon. Yeah. It's cool. And this is the part of the show where Kyle reads all of our Patreons on air so you can see how cool right? you are. Uh, shout it out loud to your patrons. We don't have any yet. Damn it. So again, it is one of whatever your local currency is. Or I could just say podcast. Uh, Larry G from uh, Spokane, Washington. He's oh. on there. Oh boy. And uh, Frank uh, L from uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh boy. He's on there. Oh wait. Matthew's just making people up now. <laughs> Front row seats here. Thank you all so much. Hope you're enjoying I hope you're enjoying the judo chops. Uh, Aaron P, Darlene W, and Mike A. Backstage past here. We definitely could not make the podcast without you guys. Christian S. Don't know who that is. David W, Michael S, Scott K. I don't know who those people yeah, are. I don't know who any of those people are. No. Uh, we appreciate all of you. Uh, it does make it easier for us to find a little bit of time to make this podcast, having a little bit of funding come in to pay for it. So, yeah. Thank you all so much. Uh, we remember have a- two things. Oh, yeah. Remember two things. Uh, love your mother mm-hmm. and leave no fo- leave only footprints. Yep. Um, and don't dump your shitter in Chicago. Don't dump your shitter in the Chicago River. Uh, we have, we have Sorry, episodes. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. <laughs> we have episodes coming up from Soundgarden. Episodes. Yeah, episodes. Episodes coming from Soundgarden, Moody Blues, No Doubt, and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble. Oh, yeah. So please come back and check that out. Other than that, we will talk to you again in two weeks. Kyle, have fun in Europe. Oh, I will try to. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.
Wow, that totally just shot. <laughs> it wasn't like a derail. It was a derail on top of a bridge. It's gone. That train is fucking gone. What was I going to say? What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions, and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at IntoHistory.com.